listening to www.infinitesmile.org. Enjoy these Zen-inspired talks given by Michael McAllister. One of the neat things about the Zen tradition is that it expresses much of the teaching in the form of dialogue. They have a teacher, student, and oftentimes they're in these really kind of cryptic, uh, you know, question and response type things. But I think it underscores a really critical point in this teaching, which is it's all relational. Sometimes I, I've said before, uh, Martin Buber, the, uh, uh, the philosopher, uh, has said, uh, all true living is meeting. Uh, very famous line in Buddhism is, uh, only a Buddha with a Buddha awakens. In other words, this can't be done on our own. We as individuals have to take the steps. We as individuals must do this work. We as individuals aren't going to get it done for us. However, it requires a very deep cooperation with what is sacred within and what is sacred without. That's how this, that's how this process works most effectively. Now we can bang our heads against the wall and try to do this on our own in our, uh, you know, in our, our living situation, whatever it might be, you know, in the teepee out back, in the, uh, you know, the little space in our apartment or in our house, whatever it is, we can do the meditation alone. We can practice on our own, but it never really comes to any type of uh, fruition without a real solid sense of inner Connectivity, and to this end, I, I was reading this this translation today of this uh, this dialogue between a teacher and student, where the the student asks the question. He says, "Well, what's the best way to articulate the way?" I'm paraphrasing here, but what's the best way to articulate the way? How do we express the way? Meaning, how is it that we attain full enlightenment? And the teacher said, "Everyday mind." is the way. Everyday mind is the way. And we can look at this in a couple of different ways, but what I'd like to kind of play with tonight is this idea that every single bit of your experience right now, right now, is filled with awakened potential. This work is not for special people. It's for everyday people. You don't have to do anything special to attain, to get, to achieve, to undo. All you have to do is be aware, be alert. 
and this applies to whatever emotion you might be feeling, positive or negative. It applies to any state that you might be in, positive or negative, or indifferent. Positive, negative, or indifferent. Wherever you are is perfect. Wherever you are is everyday mind. And that's the way. So when you sit this evening, all you really need to be is here. All you really need to do is stop. <laughs> all you really have to uncover is what's always already here. Let your awareness be. Just that simple presence, that simple sense of just being here. And whatever state comes at you, whatever emotion wants to, wants to express itself, just let it be without indulging it or avoiding it. Just allow. Allow whatever's there to be there and be curious. Be curiouser and curiouser about what is going on. That's all. Is it curiouser or more curious? What's the right one? More curious sounds right, but I think it's curiouser. Whatever. Thank you. <laughs> Whatever. If you're Dr. Susan, yeah. But it's, whatever is actually a great way to put it. Whatever. Uh, another great place to be and experiment with this. See if, you, see if you can. As you're sitting, if you can have the fearlessness, the capacity to utter from deep within the phrase, bring it. Bring it on. Uh, you're, you're in this space of being able to meet your life fully. All true living is meeting. And we invite, we invite that meeting. We don't run from it. It's uh, the scene in The Matrix when Neo beckons. You know, when he, is, he has achieved this, this point of kind of utter, utter uh, alertness, utter presence, utter opening. And he just says, bring whatever you got, I want you to bring it. Because I'm right here and I'm not moving. And that's the type of heroism that's ultimately demanded uh, of each of us in this practice. But the cool news is there isn't one person in here who can't be that hero. There's not one person in here who can't do that. Every one of you has an egoic response to that, has an egoic story. They might be able to, but I can't. That might be one. Or we might get really revved up. Yeah, here we go. You know, and then we build an identity around this. Here, I'm going to be Neo. You know, 
or Morpheus or whatever. I mean, we could run into all sorts of silly gobbledygook there, which is really not the point. The point is allowing for this fearlessness to surge through us, to let it burn. Let that fire burn. Don't douse it with any type of egoic attachment. Just allow. So if everyday mind is the way, how is it that we get through all the stuff that shows up daily? We tend to, as organisms, go after the things that make us feel good and avoid the things that make us feel bad. And there are various strategies that we employ. Um, One of the things that we do is we just stuff the negativity. Or we gut it. That's what we used to say in my household. Household, four boys. The, the, the term that uh, mom and dad learned to use all the time was, oh, shake it off. And uh, the cool thing was that they knew exactly when it was beyond shaking it off and they would react to that, but they also were very keen to be able to spot a young ego run amok. Shake it off. Just deal with it, move on. Well, that can get really pathological if we're not careful. If we just stuff everything, if we just shake it off, eh, it doesn't matter. What we do is we tend to learn numbness rather than awareness. Rather than cultivate awareness, we learn or condition ourselves towards numbness. And numbness is another way of saying delusion or being asleep instead of being awake, which is hyper alert. So that one strategy ultimately fails. It might get us through life, might get us a great resume and even some really cool jobs and a nice house and cool car, but it doesn't always, in fact very rarely, will that type of attitude kind of gut it, suck it up, shake it off. Will that really get us to awakening? Another way that we tend to uh, avoid is to, we avoid awakening in this context is we indulge. We indulge the things that make us happy. Okay? We even indulge the things that hurt us. And we give them stories. It becomes like a, a whirlpool. And then we get caught by our negativity. There are all sorts of ways, and I, in tonight's talk, I purposely decided not to go into necessarily all the ways we go negative, but really to talk about the way out of that negativity. A really fascinating thing happens on uh, our path. As we walk this path, as we climb this mountain of spirit, so to speak, we have this ability to see if we allow 
ourselves to experience our emotions fully, we get to awaken. It's a mystery how this works, but it's an amazingly useful insight when we pay attention to it. In awareness practices, in stillness practices, when we begin to kind of face our lives fully with that fearlessness that I was uh, speaking about earlier, what happens is when we just let the universe bring it, when we welcome whatever is going to show up with an open heart and an open mind, a really fascinating thing happens. When we experience negativity from that place of fearless openness, the negativity begins to diminish. It begins to fall away. We begin to see through it. We begin to see it's just a little script that our ego is authoring and then belting out at the top of its lungs on our stage of mind. And we begin to see through it. We begin to see that the audience of that entire production is never caught by any of that performance. It is never touched by any of that negativity. So no matter how intense the performance is going on, on stage, no matter how negative things might be, no matter what is arising, when we really meet it, and all true living is meeting, it falls away. On the flip, when positive emotions are experienced fully, when they are met with our full fearless awareness. They evolve through us. They expand. They build. So, getting into this space is a rather simple prescription and it's a practice that takes a lot of attention. But, here goes. First, among the most important things we can do is recognize that at some point, emotions are, we can express them fully, and it's appropriate. Other times, it's inappropriate to express them fully. That takes a little bit of social intelligence, a little bit of social skill. Okay, um, people who really have no governor or internal censor uh, and will freely express their emotions all the time can be really exhausting to be near. Okay, they literally get whipped around by the winds of life, and uh, it's you know they they really just let it let it all hang out there, so to speak. That's not the kind of full experience that I'm talking about here. That, that is an indulgence, okay? Similarly, avoiding our emotions, as I articulated earlier, that's not going to help us on the path. But experiencing our negative emotions 
without indulging them and without avoiding them is exactly the meeting that the sages and saints have talked about in all sorts of traditions. Once you can do that, once we can actually meet whatever is arising, we then can disidentify from it. We can then see, oh, you know what, that's just a little egoic script that's going on here. I don't, huh. And I'm in the audience. Actually, what's real in me is in the audience. The ego is what I think is me, but what is really me is watching that. And it's not bound by that performance. So what we can do here is we can begin to practice with our negativity. We can welcome it. Depression? Ah, perfect. Everyday mind. Grief? Nice. Everyday mind. I know this sounds bizarre, but try this. I invite you to try this. Let's see, after depression, after grief, worry, fear, bring it, bring it on. Let me experience fear with my full heart and mind without expressing it, indulging it, without avoiding it, or shaking it off. Let me experience that fear. Let me experience whatever that negativity is. Concomitantly, let me experience whatever joy there is without allowing my ego to look for some hole in that joy. It's, yeah, but remember, you know, without ever, ever letting that experience of pleasure or bliss or appreciation or love get squished by hyperactive ego. We don't have to indulge positive. We don't have to stuff it, avoid it. And we don't have to do that with our negativity. We neither have to, we, we don't have to rather indulge it, nor do we have to avoid it. And when we can begin to navigate that sea with eyes wide open, ears wide open, every bit of us alert and aware, we then ultimately will begin to stare at the abyss of emptiness, which is the point of this entire practice. It's to be able to see through all of this stuff and fearlessly be willing to be someone who is not identified with their emotional life, someone who is no longer identified with their intellectual life, someone who is no longer identified with achievements and failures. We begin to stare into this no-thingness, and we have to be willing to become a nobody. We have to be willing to be something beyond what we've ever known to be true, beyond our name, beyond our achievements, beyond our image, beyond our personality, 
beyond our wants and desires, beyond our fears, beyond, 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 go way beyond. And in that space, when we are on that event horizon, so to speak, and we don't move, we just meet it, we can then come back into this life from a wholly different perspective. We can become an expression of the universe's impulse to evolve. And we can be that consciously. And in doing so, we really, really have a good time. How do you keep from falling asleep? How do you keep, <laughs> you keep from falling asleep in the meditation? Yeah. Because you know, tilting. And yeah, yeah, yeah. The, it's like one of those heat engine things. You know those birds that would like dip into water and then they come back up. Yeah. yeah, that's. My wife is an expert at that. Just uh, it, I, I can tell you from my personal experience. Um, that I was, I was a huge sleeper when I started, and it got um, a lot easier for me to stay awake. It was, it was kind of a weird trade-off, but it got a lot easier for me to stay awake when I went into uh, a, a more uh, formal posture. When I crossed my legs, and there was, I had pain in my knees, and then in my hips, and then in my back, and then, it, I mean, and it got it actually in the thoracic part of my back also, I thought it was just going to stay lumbar. No, it goes up. Into the, and so I am like in a lot of pain, but in that pain, there's no room for sleepiness. <laughs> so what happened was then, yeah, yeah, so you trade one for the other. The, the only thing... on my toe as well. Say again? I could put a vice, put a vice on your toe if, if that helps. Well, what, what, what happened was... Uh, uh, also, with like my legs going to sleep, I kind of grew out of it. And then I found I was talking to some senior students out at this place where I was, uh, uh, you know, a resident, and they were like, "Oh yeah, yeah, every once in a while I get that, but for the most part, your body just kind of adjusts, and it adjusts through the discomfort of of the, your posture as well. That pain that I felt was just like everything else was temporary, um, but it it uh, I think there are other ways of of doing it. Um, but but usually the um, uh, the more I have I found that the more I practiced the more meditation I had the less inclined my ego or my mind or my brain or whatever you want to call it was the, the less inclined it was to shut everything down. This is incredibly stressful business that we're doing here, being still. And so what the uh, uh, physiologically what's going on is shut down, right? And so to kind of uh, counterbalance that that uh, physiological impulse, it's you know you you put a little put a little fire in, in how it is that you that you sit. That was that was you know that was the way I did it. I'm sure there are tons of other ways. Um, uh, but yeah, isn't it awful? I mean, you're trying to you know, you're trying to do all the work, and you're just like Gah. you know. Oh, the other option would be, of course, more sleep. Um, <laughs> but even then, even then, I mean, this this work is, like I said, it's incredibly, incredibly stressful for for our our being, 
and the way that our being deals with stress of this nature tends to be uh, to just shut down. Um, peeling back those layers and getting deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper into stillness, all sorts of stuff ends up coming up, uh, but we just stay stay with it. And my, my ultimate recommendation to you is, uh, as you start falling asleep, be aware of that. Be aware of that, you know, carry, carry that awareness right into the uh, right into the sleepiness. And instead of saying, damn it, I'm falling asleep. Instead, the uh, a more gentle way might be, wow, sleepiness. And just be absolutely aware, carry that awareness then in, into wherever you're going. Um, and tighten your legs up maybe a little bit, you know. I, you know, just experiment. Experiment with it. It'll go away. Yeah. Great question, actually. <laughs> yeah. Yes, sir. Can you say some more about experiencing your emotions without giving expression to them? Or, or, I'm just really curious what that looks like. Yeah. I don't understand. It, it looks like this. You experience your emotions without expressing them and without running from them. Meet them. Dance with them. Become intimate with them. That intimacy right there is your, that's how we, that's how we awaken. Okay? So the next time negativity starts coming up, welcome it. Okay? But welcome it not so that you can, you know, explode, uh, you know, in whatever, let's, let's say the negativity was rage, okay? So, that, oh, here comes rage, you know, and that, that's not so helpful as much as, wow, that's rage. Get to know it. Really get to know it. Get to know the rage without letting it work you, right? Give it that, and it's, this is hard to do. At first, you know, you might be able to find like, you know, five-tenths of a second where you're you, you, you meet your age, you meet your rage, and then after that half a second goes by, you become rage, you know? But uh, what a meditative practice allows us to do, what stillness allows us to do is to create space between what we think is us, the rage, and what actually is us, our awareness. And we keep, we keep stepping back, so to speak, in the audience. Uh, watching the stage play from a greater and greater and greater distance gives us greater and greater perspective, gives us infinitely more choices. So we can choose at, at some point to respond with that rage or not. Does that kind of help clarify a little bit? Thank you. Yeah, you're welcome. Yeah, Kev. I have to take that a little further. Yeah. Um, I'm finding when I try to do that, <clears throat> um, there's a lot of mental activity that goes on. You know, insights start, you get closer to it. Insights starts com coming up about certain people and situations. Then uh, I get into a mental drama with the whole thing, a lot of words, evaluations, judgments uh, against myself and others. Uh, yeah. How do you... What happens? What uh, you? Yeah, you're going to hate what I'm going to tell you, but just bear with, okay? I'm just, I'm giving you that warning first, okay? 
stop it. <laughs> Just stop. Just stop. The awareness is the stopping. Yeah. Okay, so in other words, when we become aware of those words, that awareness is not the words. It's, it's the subject. The words become the object, to put it another way, right? So anytime you bring your awareness in, you are stopping. You're just stopping when you, when you em, literally employ that expanse, that, that aware, awakened expanse into whatever situation you have, all you have to do is just stop with the dialogue by being aware. Stop with the mental stories that are going on. Stop, stop, stop. Just stop. Be aware of it. And then when you can no longer be aware and you get caught up into it, fine, then be aware of it again and again. And what you'll do is you'll, you'll slow the spin. The inertia won't be as intense going in a particular direction. And as a result, that particular story, that particular mental script, that particular resistance pattern, that particular whatever it is, will begin to lose its energy. And when it loses its energy, we can drop it. We can drop it because, because we have, in essence, become that which observes as opposed to that which is caught by, that which is hooked, you know. Yeah. Yeah. So when we're feeling a negative emotion, isn't it helpful? I know you're saying stop, but isn't it helpful then to be able to, you know, in your awareness to look at it and say, why is, where's, why is the pull? What's the pull coming from? Sure, but that's just... Where, where, why, what's the hook coming from? Yeah. You know, and tracing that? Yeah, well, I'll tell you exactly where that'll end every single time. So I'll save you some, some time, hopefully. Every single time, it'll go to, you'll find that hook is connected to uh, a line, a fishing line, right. that goes directly to this core point, this core delusion, that I'm in here, and everything else is out there. Well, it's like an old wounding. Yes. And every time you create an exploratory search of, well, why am I this way? What you're creating is a, you're, you're reifying or strengthening that dualism. Hmm. And it's not that it's not helpful, but it's only helpful to a point. So it brings it alive instead of diminishing it. Yes. Mm -hmm. It gives it life. It gives it, it now, it's, now it's a script. Mm -hmm. And it's put in the script pile that the ego can then draw from. Say, Aha, see? Because I remember in my analysis of the last experience that here, right? So it's, it's not that it's a bad move. It's just that it's, it's a partial move. And what we're trying to do is kind of uh, uh, recognize that, but also transcend and include that entire process by looking at the fact that you feel negativity. Mm -hmm. Not why you feel it, that you feel it. And then from that, that recognition of wow, here's what it's like, that total intimacy with that negativity, guess what? No matter what the cause was, you have a space around that cause which allows you to respond to that cause from an enlightened place as opposed to from a contracted script orientation. 
think I like to want I I want to understand why, but then once I do, it happens again. So at that point, you have to just say stop. Exactly. That's you. You said that so. Just hang on. You said that so beautifully right there. It's like you want to understand. Well, what is it that wants to understand? The ego. You got it. And so the ego wants to understand so that it can create more understanding. And if it has more understanding, it feels more secure. Mm -hmm. And if it feels more secure, guess what? The veils in front of the awakened light that you always are get, get dustier and dustier and dustier and dustier. Well, once you understand, you know, and then it happens again, you're like, oh, God, that's that crap again. Exactly. You're like, okay, yeah. you know, into the garbage can, though. Right, the understanding, it's a great, it's a great uh, question and a great point that you're making because it's, the understanding doesn't necessarily demystify or get, get rid of it. Okay? However, the experiencing of it, the full meeting of it, without indulgence or uh, avoidance, that, on the other hand, gives this major presence in us life. As opposed to living from a limited place, we suddenly begin this expansive orientation that isn't caught by whatever negativity or whatever reason behind the negativity or whatever past experience or whatever future worry we might have. It's bigger. Yeah, it dissipates, and it's not that you don't feel it. It's that it doesn't hold you. And that's a huge, huge... Um, goof that I think people, you know, they, they make this imputation on spiritual teachers especially that, oh, well, they never get angry. Uh, let me tell you. <laughs> you know, there, I, I have seen some amazing uh, negativity come from people that I, I had, it was like, whoa! Um, but it was what happened afterwards that, that helped me see that it was still there there was still something magical and mysterious and beautiful about the way that these people walked in the world you know um so i i think it's a it's a great great thing to kind of kind of try to, to try to you know become intimate with that as well that uh, uh especially when spiritual teachers when you can see them become human oh what a gift that is to practitioners what a gift! Because then, then they're not—they're not an ideal. They're—they uh, are a reflection of what's normal in you. <laughs> Just a real quick side story. I found out that one of these uh, one of these uh, senior students at this uh, 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 at this particular retreat center was uh, lamenting lamenting his last therapy session. You know, you always hear these great stories when you're eating, you know, your, your brown rice with your chopsticks and the, the rice is falling all over the place and you listen to the next table and suddenly you've got this senior student and you've heard him give Dharma talks that bring, you know, that, that bring tears to your eyes. And then he starts saying, yeah, well, my therapist was saying, rah, 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 rah. And you're like, what? You know? So, you know, this is not, this is, this work is not, does, it neither makes you special, nor is it for special people. Awakening is for everyone, everybody. Yes. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> yes. 
I have a question I think you've answered before, but I have to ask it again. Sure. <laughs> um, in that spaciousness that's created by awareness, mm -hmm. you said that um, then we can choose the action. Um, how do we know that the choice we make is, um, is from an enlightened source versus our ego? Because there's no resistance to it. There's no resistance to the choice. It's it's a it's a it's a spontaneous, effortless gift. You know, and you I know you've experienced that difference before, where the, it, when you give a give something to get something, or you just give something, and when you just give something, there's something that happens right in here in our bodies. You can feel it. You know, and it's the same thing. The enlightened giving is the giving that not only causes no harm but it comes from a place of deep intentionality and that intention is to give giving it's forgiving too you know there's forgiveness and giving all in the unconditional unconditional unconditional, unconditional. yeah and it might sound like no you know like like the the mother mother bear worried about her cub doing something stupid in the playground. You know, I mean, no, that can come from, from protection. It can also be absolutely the most beautiful smile that you could ever give. Eye contact, deep eye contact with somebody. I mean, all those things can be uh, gifts that come from our awakened presence. Those choices then are, they're myriad. I mean, they just, they're, they're so plentiful. They're, so, they're, they're boundless in their, in their scope and in their availability. <laughs> yeah, last one. Yeah. Um, how do I know that the awareness of my thoughts aren't just more thoughts? Right. What has consciousness to do with anything? Right. Sometimes what we'll say, the, um, there's this really cool, uh, confusing sutra, if any of you really feel uh, intellectually muscular uh, and you want to take this on. Um, your spiritual athleticism is like... Man, it's amazing. You know, you want the decathlon? Okay. Take the Lankavatara Sutra and, um, and a cup of tea. And uh, uh, just piece through it sentence by sentence. See how confused you get. Um, uh, I found that the most important, there are a couple of things that I really liked about the Lankavatara Sutra, even though I didn't understand 90% of it. Um, one one uh, part of it was things are not as they appear nor are they otherwise. <laughs> I just love that line. I love that line. I mean, the, the, entire, the entire experience of awakened teaching, regardless of your tradition, is in that line. Things are not as they appear, nor are they otherwise. In other words, yes, we have this relative world, this relative normal life, this form, and this isn't the whole story, right? Um, the other thing is that I that I love about the, this particular uh, this particular sutra is it is so clear about this. Our consciousness, Ralph, is our awareness of awareness. Okay. The awareness of awareness is our consciousness. And uh, just play with that for a while. Don't don't like. It's it's not so much an intellectual understanding as much as that's like a little Dixie cup of Dharma that you just keep throwing it on and you'll you'll get sopped. Okay. The thing here is though, 
our awareness of our thoughts is not in any way relational to our thoughts. So if you are aware of thoughts, that which is aware is not a thought. Otherwise, you can be aware of that. Okay? It's a backing, it's a systematic, repeated, consistent, practiced backing up. Okay? Or backing in. Okay, so we keep backing in. Okay? And what's revealed is what we truly are. So, our agreement right here is that you're going to keep backing in and then you're going to tell me what you really are at some point. <laughs> Thank you so much for coming.